sorry, that was aggressive, Cal. <laughs> it's so weird to start. <laughs> I'm Bryn. I'm Kelsey. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. Oh, goodness. Clearly, we are a little loopy today. <laughs> we were talking about things that we should talk about before um, reviewing the coffee today. And, Brynn, I think you need to talk about what you texted me. <laughs> so, today, I texted Kelsey on my way over here, and I said... Because <laughs> I was like, when are you coming here? Let me know. I'll come upstairs. Yeah. I said, I'm at the light by the gas station where, where we puked. <laughs> so, Story basically... When was this now? Two years ago? Three years ago? Maybe I don't know. Three. We're on pandemic times maybe two i think it was probably two two new year's eves ago yeah so two new year's eves ago before all of this happened Mm -hmm. where you can't have a new year's party anymore Mm -hmm. we had one (laughs) no we We, didn't have one we we went to one sorry i just burped we were at one at um, my cousin's house and basically we had a really good night (laughs) it was great we got very drunk Mm -hmm. and the next morning, well, we fell asleep that night. I was in leather, like leather pants, and I don't remember what top. I had a really sweater. You had a fuzzy sweater on. Yeah, I promised the le- this what we were wearing has it has to something. do with the story. Yeah, I had like these ginormous heels on, like they were fucking massive. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, and we were all done up and stuff. So anyway, yeah. we passed out that night. Woke makeup up the next all. morning. Yeah, makeup and all. Woke up the next morning. Makeup smeared all over our faces. Didn't bother checking the mirror. Still no. feeling a little tipsy from the night before. And we went to leave my cousin's house, and my brother was driving us home because mm-hmm. he wasn't as bad as us the night before. We were before. like, we definitely still can't drive. <laughs> yeah. We can't get it behind a wheel. Yeah. So Carson drove, went to drive us home, and we decided to stop at Dunkin' Donuts first because we were like, we need a bagel or something and water. Lots and of water. I was like, I'm going to puke, so I'm going to go in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And I tried, but it didn't work. So... Hair all over the place. I didn't even check my hair. Leather pants with, like, a feather jacket. We walk into Dunkin' Donuts at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning like this, and we leave and walk back out to the car, and Carson goes, I'm so embarrassed. We were like, what? Why? And he's like, like, did you see those looks that we were getting? I was like, no. He was like, it looked like I just walked into Dunkin' Donuts with my women of the night. And then the whole car ride home, we had to stop how many times? Three. For you to throw up. I was like, I, I'm good, I'm fine. And then I was like, no, I'm not fine. Yeah. So we pull over at one point, and Bryn had eaten her bagel, and I was like, <laughs> I have to puke. And she's like, <laughs> she's like... This was very close to home. Now we're at the gas station that I passed today. Yeah, she's like, hearing you puke makes me want to puke. I was like, oh no. So then she comes out, and she starts... I'm behind the gas station. She's in my leather pants. We're behind the gas station. She comes out. She starts puking. She's like, I'm choking on my bagel. (laughs) It wasn't fully digested yet. I was crying. I don't think I could eat a bagel for like a good couple months after that. Oh, yeah. Definitely a while. (laughs) So then we get home. We literally made it to the driveway and I was like, you have to stop again at the driveway. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I just remembered this part. (laughs) Kelsey and I were taking forever to get out of the car and walk up the driveway. Carson runs in the house. Remember how he greeted us when we ran? Puts on the- a fucking karaoke machine. <laughs> he had a karaoke machine, and he's going. Um, and now, and now introducing Bring, woman of the night number one. 
And he, like, everyone's, like, sitting in the living room, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and we come in strutting in with, like, our clothes on and half, like, dead. Our rat's nests. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, when I texted her, where are you? And she said, I'm at the gas station where we puked. <laughs> I literally was cracking up when I opened the message. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good times. Great times. I can't wait to have one of those nights again. Right. But, anyway, so. Now we'll talk about the coffee. Yeah, the important stuff. Yeah. So like people today. probably, like, fast-forward through our story. Like, I can't listen to these Probably. Probably. I don't care. <laughs> so today we're reviewing another one of Raven's Brew Coffee. We did two of theirs in a previous episode. Episode 28. Yeah. Go back and listen to episode 28 if you want to hear the whole about them and all that information because, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned in other episodes, we're not going to repeat it a second time. Yes. Although we do love them. Yes. Um, and just to, a reference, they are located in Ketchikan, Alaska, and their website is ravensbrewcoffee.com. They also have another location in Washington as well. Did you want to give their Instagram too? Oh, yeah. Their Instagram is ravensbrewcoffee. So check them out. Look at their website. They have a bunch of cool stuff. Um, Lots of cool graphics, as we mentioned I know. last time. I'm just, like, staring at the bag right now of the one that we're doing today, and it's so beautiful. This one is super cool. Yeah. It has a, ma- a map yeah. in the background. So cool. This one uh, that we're doing this week is called Dead Man's Reach. Ooh, and it's reaching for that coffee. It is. So, basically, Dead Man's Reach, it's a heavy, full-body of dark, bittersweet chocolate and hazelnuts with a sweet bite. Its origins are Central and South America and India, and it's available in organic just-to-taste bags or big bags. Nice. And it is a dark roast. Yum. So typically we don't like, we like don't favor the dark roasts. Yeah. If you've been listening... (laughs) But I really like this one. This is good. Very good. This is good coffee. And actually, this is so cute. I'm reading their bag right now. On the back of their bag, it says, We thought Dead Man's Reach sounded like a coffee, and we're inspired to design this special high-speed blend for very rare coffees. A very rare coffees for... And then they listed a bunch of things. I was cracking up. Jump-starting your morning. Long-haul trucking. Cramming for exams. Winning races. (laughs) Inspiring great ideas and noble emotions graveyard shifts and they go on and on and on i thought that was really cute really really cute so if you're doing your graveyard shift and you're bored listen to crime cults and coffee while drinking dead man's reach yes <laughs> that sounds like the perfect night on a graveyard right? shift and there has to be like a thunderstorm or something in the background well hopefully not if they're outside <laughs> true. <laughs> true but it says you can also enjoy it in states of absolute bliss mm. which that's when i would like to enjoy this brew <laughs> I really do like this one, though. Me Did too. you talk about the notes? No. Well, I mentioned that it, the bittersweet, yes, and yeah. the, the hazelnut. But what do you taste when you drink it? I definitely taste the chocolatey, bittersweet, like, dark chocolate. Same. Which is why I think I love it, because as I mentioned in other episodes, I love dark chocolate. Yeah. I like this one a lot. And then it's said also that it has the hazelnut note in it, but... Like we've mentioned in the past, we use hazelnut creamer, Mm -hmm. so maybe it just spiced up the hazelnut a little bit. It gave that hazelnut a little boost. A little extra hazelnut in there. A little (laughs) something-something. But it's good. Yeah. It's really good. I do enjoy this. I think it's very smooth, and as we've said before, full-bodied, but it's not 
bitter. Like, you yeah. taste the bitter sweet, but in a chocolatey way, not in a, like, ooh, I can't drink this one. You can definitely taste the sweetness in it, and I think that mm-hmm. balances the dark roast nature of the coffee. Yeah. The, so. cho- the chocolate notes definitely stand out to me in this one. Yeah. Agreed. What would so, you rate it? I would rate this one an eight. I agree. I concur. I concur. <laughs> eight coffee beans. It's 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 an eight for you and an eight for you. You get an eight. I love Ravensbro. Me too. We gotta go to Alaska. And uh, yeah, that's part of our coffee tour. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to, I think, order some more bags bags from them because yeah. I would like to try more from them. Me too. Thank you so much Raven's Brew. We were so lucky to be able to review your coffees and we loved all of them. It's just so nice to have people support other people and other businesses and I don't know, I guess it's just a, like a breath of fresh air whereas I feel like most people try to tear other people down. Yeah. Like most businesses to try to get ahead, but everyone we've worked with literally has been amazing and just I don't know, very gracious. Yeah, they actually left us a really nice comment on our Instagram. Aw. They commented on our post saying, thank you so much. Your show is amazing. We love it. Oh, thank <laughs> you. And thank you for actually listening. As a tear rolls down my cheek. <laughs> drip, drip. <laughs> All right, you want to get started? Yeah. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Okay, so how do I even announce this? I guess that's one way. <laughs> so today is an insane fucking case. It's literally insane. It blew my mind. Like we've said in the past, buckle your seatbelts. This time, <laughs> buckle them tight and be like be expected to twist and turn and flip Maybe upside down. Maybe put another seatbelt on. Yeah, if you get motion sickness, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Warning. <laughs> so this case was actually um, suggested. It was a listener suggested case by Laura, and that is actually Bryn's sister in law. Yeah, Laura. Thank you so much for sending this in. She listens to our podcast every week, mm-hmm. so she's gonna be so excited that we finally <laughs> are doing this. Because I think she sent it to me months ago. Aw. Yeah. Thank you so much for sending it in. I had no idea about this case, which I love. That's why I love doing listener-suggested stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I usually don't know about the cases. Yeah, I had no idea about this either, and there is so much to know. Crazy as shit. Okay, so let's jump in. So this case, as we've said in the past, we want to make it about the victim or the person that, you know this story is actually about mm-hmm. and her name is nancy now sure but it was nancy howard um at the time of this event mm-hmm. uh, and then if you do want to look up more information or if you want to see articles you typically have to search john frank howard um and he's a main player obviously in this in this case as well yeah but uh we want to focus on nancy and nancy's story it is nancy's story yes so Nancy Shore, as she's now known as, is was 53 years old at the time of this event. She married Frank Howard in 1983. Nancy's father was actually the pastor that married them. So sweet. So cute. And it just speaks to their religiousness uh, throughout this as mm-hmm. well. They met at a church in San Marcos. Frank was married in college briefly, and Nancy had attended this ceremony, but that marriage didn't last long, which I read that. I was like, ooh. I know. Spicy. I was like, wait a second. She was there, and she's like, I know. It's not going to last. She's like, that groom looks like he shall be my groom. (laughs) He's mine. (laughs) 
So they ended up getting married, like we said, and they raised three children together living in Carleton, Texas. Um, Ashley was their firstborn, and she was born two years after they got married. Jay was their middle child, and then Brianna was their youngest child. Frank was an accountant who owned a firm with a business partner. They had offices in Addison, which had actually more than 500 clients, which is pretty big. Yeah. Nancy was said to have decorated the offices and, like, set everything up. She's um, so cute. Yeah. She described herself, quote, a domestic engineer, end mm-hmm. quote. I love that. Nancy cooked, cleaned, kept her husband's schedule, took care of their children, served in PTAs, and volunteered on most of the school f- field trips. So she was, like, a typical... Um, you know, stay-at-home mom who helped with literally everything. Super hardworking. Yeah. Nancy described John as a kind, gentle, and loving man. She said that he was very involved with their children. He coached soccer teams, and he went to all of their games when they were kids. Mm. Nancy and Frank sang in the choir at the local church where they held Bible study and meetings for youth group, which is awesome. Their son, Jay, would say, quote, if the doors to the First Baptist were open, my parents were probably inside. Aww. So they spent so they a lot were of time so there. so involved. Yeah. yeah. It seems like she wanted to be involved in every aspect of their life, um, between church and school and home, everything. She and both to be. And both parents were like that with their kids, so yeah. they ha- obviously were a, like, close-knit family. Yeah. So... Obviously, with that being said, um, you know, no family is perfect. Mm -hmm. Nancy struggled with depression over the years and uh, chronic pain from fibromyalgia. I know. And at one point, Frank actually battled prostate cancer. So with these health health issues, it was really tough for them to get through, but they felt that it actually strengthened their bond and they were able to push through it together. Yeah, that's great. I mean... Everyone handles situations differently, but I think both of them going through something like that probably did. Like, at one point, she had to care for him, and at one point, he had to care for her. Right, and they... They, it seemed like they confided in each other a lot. It, they talked about every big decision that they did before making the decision to make sure each other were mm-hmm. okay with it. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like they were very um, involved people. Yeah. So Nancy hoped she could rekindle the bond her and Frank had once their last daughter, Brianna, moved to college. Because obviously, in all this busyness, hectic yeah. schedules, him doing things for work, her taking care of everything else at home, and then them both being heavily involved in other things, they probably didn't have much time to focus on, like, their own relationship. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how yeah. hard that could be. Yeah. So, when their children grew up, Frank began to travel more for work as an accountant, whereas Nancy felt more isolated. Mm. So... Which I feel like is a common thing with people that, and I act like I know from experience, but like... As always, we act like we know. Right. But like people that have had their adult children move away and now after years and years of taking care of people, there's really nothing else. Yeah. What what do they call it? The empty empty nest. nest. Yeah. Yeah. So Nancy says, quote, I was a stay-at-home mom and that was my job. And once they started leaving, it was getting harder, hard for me. And then he started getting more busy with work, and I guess you would say it felt like we were growing in distance apart, which is sad. So, May 2009, Frank told Nancy he would be taking on a new client, and he would probably need to travel even more. 
And she was surprised he actually didn't talk to her about this before he made the decision because as Kelsey mentioned, they always talked through big decisions together. Yeah, and that's a big one, taking on more work. Yeah, and more travel and leaving your wife at home by herself more often. Like, that Mm -hmm. seems like something you would talk through. Nance, I want to be your friend. I know, Nancy. So his new client's name was Richard Raleigh, and he was a call-evil... (laughs) Call-evil... <laughs> Colleyville businessman, and he made millions on Defense Department contracts. I mm-hmm. had actually read that he he was sending water to um, at one point. Mm-hmm. He was sending water to like troops and stuff over, and I think Iraq. Oh my and, god! Yeah, he like helped wow. with that kind of stuff. That's awesome. So he needed help from Frank to bring more than thirty million dollars from Kuwait into the U.S. Wow, which that's insane. That's a shit ton of money. Yeah, and right away my mind went to like, is is this being done? In a legit way, or is this a Marty Bird situation? Are they laundering? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, hmm, how are they cleaning this thing? Yeah, my brain like, went straight wait there. Wait a second. <laughs> Marty Bird. Wait, my thing just like... Like, how okay. are they able to clean this? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. So, Frank was allowed to use Richard's private jet. He was given an office space in Grapevine, Texas, and he was made the chief financial officer eventually. Damn. So, he was like... Getting up there. Yeah, that's pretty quick, too. Yeah. And as mentioned, Frank began traveling all the time for work. He was gone for really long periods of time sometimes. And his travels included places like Florida, California, Europe, and Kuwait. Wow. So he was going everywhere. Jeez. So now we're on to the summer of 2009. There was a noticeable change in Frank after Nancy returned from a mission trip in Africa, and she went on this trip with her daughter, Brianna. I have the chills. I don't know why. I just feel like that shows how good of a person she was. Yeah. So on the car ride home, he, like, picked them up from the airport, Mm -hmm. and on the car ride home, he broke down in tears, but he said it was because of the loss of a close family friend, so that was his reasoning for it. Yeah. And it turns out... (laughs) On the weekend of July 25th, 2009, while Nancy was in Africa, Frank was in California for work, and he was at a table in a casino called Harvey's, and this was in Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. Frank met a woman at this casino named Suzanne Leontief. (laughs) I'm not making fun of someone's last name. I was just saying beforehand. It sounds like lion teeth. And we were trying <laughs> we were trying to figure out how to pronounce it. Yeah. And we were like, hmm, we'll just like write something. And we're like, maybe we'll do You're just spit. Lion Lion teeth. Lion teeth. Lion teeth. But it's Leon teeth. Yes. And uh, another reason I'm laughing <laughs> is because she was a dental hygienist. So I just I mean Lion's teeth. I'm not making fun of someone, I just think it's funny. <laughs> I think like, she would laugh. It's ironic. I think she'd probably laugh. Yeah. Suzanne, we're not making fun of you, sweetie. We like your last name. Yeah. Lion teeth. So Suzanne was a dental hygienist, as I mentioned. She was from Santa Cruz, California, and she was actually at a softball tournament with her daughters in Lake Tahoe, and that's why she was there that weekend. Mm -hmm. She was married, but she was working on going through a divorce at that time, and when her and Frank met, they drank and talked together for about a half an hour, and then they parted their ways. So at first, it was a very innocent, cordial thing. Yeah. And then later on after dinner, she 
went back to that casino and she saw him at a different table and they began gambling together over the course of a few hours. So they just kept like running into each other. Yeah. So it was kind of like building at this point. Like first they were just like cordial and now you're actually spending a couple hours with this person. Mm -hmm. And then the next day she found him again in the same area. And by that Sunday they had each other's phone numbers. Which. Bad move. Okay, but. No. Kind of sketch. That's sketch. Yeah. So, Frank and Suzanne texted and talked on the phone the entire following week, and he then invited her to meet him in Reno that weekend. So, they ended up meeting up in Reno, they went to a casino, and allegedly, allegedly, she spent a lot of time in, in his room. So, they both had rooms, but allegedly she spent most of the time in his room. Mm-hmm. A week after they met, Frank was mentioning to to Suzanne how he wanted to to divorce his wife, Nancy, at home. Okay. I wonder if he made it clear from her to the get-go that he was married and not thinking about divorce with his wife, and Mm -hmm. she still initiated... Like, she still... Not... She didn't initiate it, but she still kept on with things and included going to his room allegedly Mm -hmm. or if he from the beginning was saying me and my wife are in the same situation as you we're we're kind of on the abs yeah Yeah. i think that's probably what he told her because in that case she isn't really in the wrong for anything like she 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 was was given information saying that they were separated but not divorced yet yeah and she in her situation, yeah. was in the process of getting a divorce. Yeah, there was, she was not in the wrong, if that was the case. Yeah. So but Frank, you knew better. Frank! <laughs> Come on. You don't cheat on your wife. So, weeks later, weeks, he actually named three companies after Suzanne, which... That was a little quick. Does he have a crush on her? Maybe. Is he a little bit... Childish? Um... <laughs> obsessed yeah i think maybe one of the companies uh was named slh which stood for suzanne leon leontief howard which would have been her married name if they got married ew yeah that's really stalkerish after and that's a few like weeks when you're in third grade and you write the crush's name that in you the like in the, in the in your notebook right so, these companies were being created as holding corporations in order to move Richard Rowley's $30 million. Also, is that a normal thing? No, I don't think this is normal. <laughs> I think he was trying to get the money washed and he found... Or he was doing it without Richard even knowing, like, maybe, how he was but doing like, how it. Do you He's like, that? oh, I'll do it for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, even that, companies created as holding Those are corporations. Those are all front yeah, companies. Yeah, like, Marty Bird. Marty, Marty, <laughs> Marty. So as the weeks passed, um, Suzanne and Frank continued talking, continued to see each other. Frank actually began paying for all kinds of things for Suzanne, including softball tournaments, her oldest daughter's college, a house in Santa Cruz worth $900,000, <laughs> a suite at the Mavs game in 2010, a Pittsburgh Steelers game, which you do have good taste, Frank, I will say that, for the Pittsburgh <laughs> Steelers game, <laughs> Giants games, and to the Super Bowl one year, and then he took her kids to the Bahamas for a fucking week. 
I mean... That's easily over a million dollars worth of stuff. I could see why Suzanne wanted to continue this relationship. Right? I don't blame though. her. Like... He just paid for a shit ton of stuff for them. Like, you're not even in this relationship for very long, and he's like, I'm gonna buy you a $900,000 house. Yeah. Okay. Like, I would be like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> he actually would fly her on the private jet, um that his boss owned and let him used, or he would just pay for her flights, food, and hotel rooms. So she really made out. Yeah. He started an IRA, which is an individual retirement account for her, and he sent a check for $500,000 and a wire transfer for $200,000 for that account. She's freaking set, dude. But it's like... Was this another holding Thing. situation? And just use, like, her name and her yeah. account? Yeah. Yeah. Or was he actually... I mean... Never mind. I'm not going to even say anything yeah. because you'll see later on how frivolous he is with his money. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Um, he put Suzanne on payroll of the Rallies company when she had lost her health insurance. So, like, he's like, here, take this. <laughs> He also made some big business purchases, or big purchases. He bought a boat for $30,000, a condo in Tahoe for $380,000. This man is just, he's going all out. Spending that dough. Yeah. He actually continually told Suzanne that he would divorce Nancy, but according to Suzanne, he always had an an excuse, like, why it couldn't happen at that time. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, he said... Uh, he would, just, you know, say, oh, my daughter's graduating. I can't do this. Oh, there was like, a death in the, the family. Like, it's not the right time. Yeah. So, and that's what he kept telling her, and she was, like, getting sick of it. Mm. So, now we're up to August 18th, 2012. In the morning, Su- uh, Nancy headed to the First Baptist Church in Carrollton, which was, again, their hometown. There was actually a woman's tea, and she was hosting two of the tables for it. She was under the impression that Frank was on another one of his business trips during this time, but before he left, he helped her, like, pack up the decorations for the tea and everything she would need into the trunk of her car. Mm -hmm. Remember, Nancy is the main woman that this story is about. Suzanne is the mistress. Mistress. Yeah, Nancy is Frank's wife. Mm Mm-hmm. So, after the tea, Nancy went home for a little bit, and then she returned to the church later in the day for a baptism service of a family friend. When she left the church for the second time to head home, it was about 7.30 at night. Unknowingly, a silver Nissan was following her home. On the way home, she stopped to pick up Taco Bueno and picked up a steak fajita for dinner at the drive-thru. Mm. So then she arrived back to her two-story home, and she pulled into her garage, and she got out of her car. She was carrying her purse, her Taco Bueno bag, and all of a sudden, she felt someone grab her around the neck and put a gun to her head, which I have the chills right now. Me because too. that is absolutely terrifying. You're just going about your night. You're coming home from a <laughs> church event, and you have your Taco Bueno, and you're walking in your garage, and someone just grabs you. Like, that is really fucking scary. And that that's like a very Richard Ramirez thing to do, I think. Very. Yeah. Like be there waiting yeah. and following and stuff. And grab you in your garage when you feel like you're in a safe space. Yeah, very Richard Ramirez. So she heard the young man demand her purse, but it didn't really register in her head. She was kind of just in shock, I think. Yeah. And she kind of wrestled and was able to turn face to face with him. So she was staring directly at this man's face. And 
This man was in his 20s with facial hair. He was wearing a black baseball hat and holding a silver gun. He then repeated himself and said, quote, give me your purse. She panicked and accidentally handed him the Taco Bueno bag that instead just, of her purse. That just literally shows how, like, in like shock frazzled. and frazzled she was. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I would do the same thing, to right? be honest. Oh yeah. God. So, because of this, as more and more time was passing and she gave him the wrong bag and he was, like, not really getting a reaction, the reaction he wanted out of her, yeah. he became more and more angry. And then she handed him her purse with both hands straight out in, a t- in an attempt to push him back from her. Yeah, she's like, just take it. Yeah. I don't know what you want. And this man then raised the gun, pointed it at her face, and before he pulled the trigger, oh my god, this makes me so sad, before he pulled the trigger, she yelled, quote, Jesus, save me. It's just so horrifying and shows how religious she was that she was just like, just save me. Yeah. Yeah. So a 380 caliber bullet entered into Nancy's left temple, then went through her sinus cavity, down her throat, and stopped in her right lung. So graphic. Yeah. The young man then ran away with her purse and left Nancy bleeding on the garage floor and she was unconscious for an unknown period of time but eventually she describes hearing god's voice this she says describes it as god's voice mm-hmm. she heard a voice saying quote get up get up which god or something else thank god that guardian that happened. angel yeah uh, like, like the fact that she was able to make that recollection after everything that happened and... Of something telling her to get up. To get up. Yeah. And she pulled herself up using a metal table and fell down. And then she began to crawl on the ground. She compared it to, like, an army crawl. So I guess she was just on her elbows and knees just trying to make her way. Yeah. Like, out, out of that situation. And her phone was in her stolen purse. So I don't even know how she had the mindset to think of these things. Literally, it's mind-blowing. For real. I mean, not only are you in a horrifying situation like that where most people can't even think. Let alone get up. She got shot in the head. Yeah. Like, the fact that she was able to put these things together. It's insane. it's, It's crazy. So, because her phone, she didn't have her phone, she decided to crawl to her car, hoping she would use the OnStar button in her car to get help. Mm-hmm. And her keys were also in her purse, so she did make it in her car, but she was unable to use the OnStar button because her car couldn't be turned on. Ugh, they need yeah. to fix that. Yeah, I mean, in an emergency situation, yeah. They need to fix that. Yeah. Like, especially, what if your car dies on the side of the road and you don't have a phone? I wonder if they have fixed it by now since Since this was 2012. Maybe. Probably. Wow. So, she then was able to stand up and walk into her home after all of this, which is insane. Nancy, you are such a strong woman. You are. She was able to call 911 and she said, quote, Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, my God, help me. And then she said that she had been shot. Mm. On her way to the phone, she saw she stopped, like, in the bathroom, and she saw her reflection in the mirror and was horrified. There was a hole where her left eye should have been and blood oh, everywhere. God, God. 
I can't even, like, picture what she went through Mm-mm. or even try to put myself in those shoes. Mm-mm. Nancy was waiting at the door when the police and the ambulance got to her house. Like, she was standing and walking and waiting. And recollecting. And we'll post um, a little interview that NBC News did. Mm-hmm. But in that interview, we listened briefly, and it said that she was able, when she walked into the house, to disable her house alarm by typing in the, the code. Yeah, like, she remembered her code in that moment. What the hell? She definitely had God on her side or an angel or Mm -hmm. something on her side. Whatever you believe was definitely on her side. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, the NBC um, uh, news interview, uh, they actually have a piece of the 911 call that we're going to insert in now. Tell me exactly what happened. Did you still think you could die at that point? I did. I didn't know if I would live. I've been shot. What's the address, ma'am? And I told her, I said, please don't leave me. She said, no, Ms. Howard, I will stay here with you until they come. Because anyone who is fighting for their life and has called 911 knows that they could die. They don't want to die alone. And I wanted to live. So Frank had been away for work, quote unquote work, during this time, when really he was in a casino in Reno with Suzanne. While his wife was shot. Yeah. A police officer who knew the family from the church called the children to tell them about Nancy, and the daughter Ashley then called her father, Frank. Mm. Frank cried and collapsed near the door of the casino when he found out. Suzanne had to help him uh, walk, and she drove him to the airport. Oh, my God. Yeah, but there was no flights to Dallas that night, and he was unable to use uh, his boss, Rayleigh's private jet, So, Suzanne drove him four hours to San Jose Airport. Mm. He took the first flight he could the next morning and went to Nancy's side at the hospital. Nancy was in a coma for days. This poor woman. I just... I I wonder if it was... If she went into it once that adrenaline was done pumping or if they put her in an induced coma. To help heal? Yeah. I know, because they do do that sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. That's... I just can't believe that, that this woman went through that. How do you go through such a trauma and uh, just come out the way she has, which yeah. we'll talk about? and function like she did during it. That's, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. So, now we're going to move on to the investigation. The police looked into Frank's phone, and it was clear that he had been having an affair, hmm. which he openly admitted to. Um, the affair with Suzanne, but he denied having anything to do with the shooting of his wife. Mm -hmm. He told his children and Nancy, who, by the way, was still in the hospital at this time, about the affair that had now been going on for more than three years. I just want to know what he told Suzanne to make her keep believing that they were going to get a divorce for three fucking years. And, like, you kept putting off getting this divorce with your wife because of bad timing and now you have to tell your wife when she had been shot in the head in a hospital bed that you have been having an affair. Like, that is poor timing. Fucking worse timing. Yeah. So, he denied being associated with her uh, being shot, like we had mentioned earlier. And Nancy had really no reason to not believe him. So, yeah. she believed him at first. She, you know, there was... Nothing in her mind from what she knew about him and what everybody else knew about him that would make her think, oh, he's lying. He had something to do with me getting shot. And it's like, oh, you were a shitty 
person. You're you've been cheating on me, but, but you I just so happen to be yeah. shot by this random man, you know? Weird like coincidence yeah. kind yeah. of. So over time, police found out the truth behind Nancy's shooting. In surveillance footage from the church Nancy had left, police could see a silver Nissan follow Nancy out to the parking lot, out of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the Carlton detectives obtained a police report. Sometime before the shooting even happened, a guy named Dustin had been pulled over in Nancy's neighborhood and claimed to be a hitman. So we're going to get into this further down, the situation that actually happened. Yeah. We didn't want to give everything away before... It just made more sense chronologically to tell it the way we're telling it. And pay attention. We'll try to explain the best we can, but there's a lot of names, a lot of... Connections. Connections and this and that. Yeah. So just remember for now that they pulled over a few days earlier a guy named Dustin um, in the neighborhood that Nancy lived, and he had claimed to be a hitman. Mm Mm-hmm. So, police brought Dustin in, and over a three-day interrogation, he told everything he knew about the shooting. An inmate named Billy Earl Johnson was also claiming to have info, and according to both of them, it was a murder-for-hire job. Wow. Detectives were shown a picture that a woman named Stacy had taken of the man who had the money and had hired the hit, and Mm -hmm. we'll get into how she had this picture and everything as well later a little bit further down Mm -hmm. and basically they only knew this man as john and then had this picture of him right these people that we're talking about they only knew him as john yeah so police recognized john as frank aka john franklin howard so john franklin howard was his full name he went by frank to everyone. To that everyone, knew him. including mm-hmm. his wife and who, whoever, his mistress, his kids, whatever. But he went to the, the people that had claimed there was a hit on Nancy, knew him as John. Yeah. A woman named Misty Ford also came forward with information. And this led police to connect the silver Nissan, the one that followed Nancy, to two men named Michael Speck and Michael Lawrence. So now we're going to get into all these names that we just mentioned, who they are, how they're connected. Why they're even involved. Yeah. So, Billy Earl Johnson, I'll talk about first. Mm -hmm. He was in his early 50s. He was very thin. He had a goatee with tattoos on his arms, neck, and chest. He was drawn to motorcycles and meth. Mm -hmm. What a great combination. Yeah, motorcycles and meth. Yeah. And he spent more than a quarter of his life in prison. When he was released from prison in 2009, his younger brother picked him up and brought him home to East Texas. So that's how he was in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris and his wife set Billy up with a woman that worked with them at Van Tone. So we're going to talk a little more about this company later. Make sure you remember the name Van Tone because this is all going to connect. Right. And Billy was set up with a woman that had worked there. Yeah. So that's how it started. So the woman that had worked there broke up with Billy in July 2009 and he did not react well. He called her 24-7. He harassed her. He threatened her. And she was worried Billy would show up at her work. So she told some co-workers at Van Tone to keep an eye out for him. Mm-hmm. And he... Although he was that upset where he was, like, harassing this woman, he quickly moved on to another. Of course he did. Yeah. So, one day, Billy's phone rang, and his new girlfriend, Stacy Saranko, was in the kitchen, 
And the person on the phone introduced himself as John. In comes John. Here walks John. (laughs) Into the scene. (laughs) John said he had heard of Billy and he was hoping he would be able to help him with something. And this is according to Billy. Right. Specifically, John needed someone to kill his wife. Makes sense. Yeah. And Billy said, quote, I raised straight up off the couch. He was like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's like, oh. what do you need help with? <laughs> yeah. He levitated. No. Yeah. <laughs> then the aliens came in and <laughs> took him away. Shot him up and I shot wish. him down in a beam of light. I wish they took him out. Yeah. So he agreed to meet John outside of Shepler's Western Wear store in Mesquite. I hope I said that right. Because uh, when someone asks you to kill their wife, you say, okay, sure. I'll meet you somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Where do you want to meet? Yeah. When he arrived, there was only a gray Lexus in the parking lot. And this is the car that... This is the car that Frank drove. This is the car <laughs> that Frank drove. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy got out of his truck and sat in the passenger seat of the Lexus. And John handed Billy an envelope with $600,000 cash, as well as a photo of Nancy Howard... And John told Billy to make it look like an accident. What the fuck? Yeah. And it gets crazier, people. It gets crazier. So much crazier. (laughs) So much crazier. Yeah. So after Billy got this giant wad of cash in an envelope, he returned home and (laughs) spent the money like fucking crazy. He spent it mostly on meth, because remember, he likes motorcycles and meth. But... He was known to pay for drinks everywhere he went, dinners, and he handed out, like, $100 bills everywhere as well. He was like, you get 100 But the thing is, is I'm assuming he wasn't used to that kind of money. He was probably high all the time from the meth. Yeah, because like, I was going to say, if I wasn't used to that kind of money, which I'm not used to being handed in an envelope you're not if i'm not used to that kind of money i wouldn't frivolously spend it you're also a logical human (laughs) that hasn't spent a quarter of your life in prison that's true (laughs) i forgot about that part okay (laughs) so eventually he was arrested for possession and what was left of the money which wasn't a lot was confiscated by the police at that point in time. Five dollars. <laughs> Five dollars. They're like, this is all you got? He's like, yep. Five, yep. <laughs> I have an envelope with five dollars in it. <laughs> when Billy was bonded out two days later, he called John and told him he needed more money because, you know, he ran out. Mm. So John met Billy for a second time at a Texaco off Interstate 635 where John gave Billy an additional $35,000. I'm sorry, how does he keep dishing out this money? That was two days later. And the guy's not doing what he's giving him money for. I mean, I'm glad (laughs) I don't understand. I'm glad he wasn't doing it. Throughout this story. But how do you keep being like, okay, here's more. Yeah. Here's more. Throughout this story, that's the only thing I thought of. (laughs) And, like, as we get through to more people. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So. And why that much at a time? Yeah, like, why did you need 600,000? It's not like he agreed upon a number. Yeah. He could have been like, I'll give you a hundred, and Billy would have probably been like, okay. And, like, if he's not doing what you're ask- what you're paying him for, which is he should have fucking been awful to paid say. after. Yeah, or be like, okay, I'm giving you a thousand dollars now. Yeah. And then I'll give you five hundred and ninety-nine thousand dollars later. <laughs> he clearly was not smart. Yeah. So, the additional $35,000, Billy burned through again very quickly mm. and went back to jail. <laughs> 
Um, he spent money lavishly on new cars, motorcycles, go-karts, a boat, a camper, and assault weapons. Meth and motorcycles. Meth, motorcycles, and assault weapons. <laughs> yeah. He said, quote, I went through it the way a kid goes through diapers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, then. Meaning he went through it really fucking quick. Yeah. So now that is Billy. That's how he is in the picture. So now we're going to move on to the next person that's involved in this giant web named Charlie Louderman. This is a huge tray. What? This is a huge tray of people. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) No, like... The the uh, amount of people that got involved in this shit. And were okay with being involved. It's my Well, they were all criminals, so... I don't know. So in comes Charlie Louderman. He was a tall, intimidating man with broad shoulders and thick arms. (laughs) Like a tree. He was the kind of guy that would say, quote, I know what blood looks like. Oh my god, that's probably why my body did a shiver when I heard his name and reacted poorly (laughs) to him. Charlie grew up with a friend of Billy, and he actually didn't even meet Billy until um, a few years prior to this event. Mm. So he knew of him, but he didn't meet him until a few years prior. Billy rode up to Charlie's driveway on a purple chopper, wearing black chaps and a bandana tied around his neck. Okay, kind of stylish. Yeah, I know, a little bit. Billy came to Charlie wanting to buy guns, and also Billy offered him $700 a week to be his bodyguard and a runner of whatever he needed for him. So, that's what he wanted from him. He was going to pay him good for it, too. So, clearly, he knew that he could just keep having, like, an influx of money. Yeah. So, Charlie took the job, and here are some of the accounts of what happened over the next few months, according to Charlie. Mm. He said they would go to meet John and pick up large sums of cash, and at one time, it was as much as $83,000. Insane. He watched Billy trade stacks of money for bags of meth. Mm. Billy told him early on that he was hired as a hitman, but then later he said that um, he was trying to target a gang member who raped someone's daughter, which I don't really know where that story came into play, but... But how does that make sense with the money he's right. giving? So that one, I think Charlie knew that that was, like, not oh, true. A bag of shit. Yeah. So eventually John was introduced to Charlie over the phone, and Charlie said he heard of the plot, or plots, because it wasn't happening, yeah. to kill Nancy. And Charlie and Billy remember John telling them to make it look like a home burglary and that there would be $40,000 worth of jewelry... And they could set the house on fire to cover the tracks afterwards. How the fuck are you so nonchalant and, like, hell-bent on getting your wife killed that that's the kind of shit you come up with and say over the phone to somebody? Yeah. Oh, you can just burn it when you're done. And how do you not know if there's someone listening to the call on the other end, like... He clearly did not care. Yeah. So, John also told Charlie and Billy of Nancy's favorite place to meet her friends for lunch, and he suggested firing an automatic weapon at Nancy, and then, quote, spraying around to confuse people as to who they were shooting at, which makes me sick. the fuck are you that mentally ill in the brain where you want your wife shot with an automatic weapon? While she's eating lunch at yeah. her favorite place. And then, like, just shoot random people so it looks like just a random thing. That's he, disgusting. Yeah. 
It, well, if he actually said that. Right. This was... Either either way, it's disgusting because either he said it or they're coming up with this shit. Right. So every time they had a plan set, something went wrong. They either got too wasted to leave the hotel room or they were in jail. So on. Yeah. And during a stint in jail, Charlie told authorities about the hit on Nancy, but nobody believed him because they were like, oh, this guy's like... Seems to be a theme. and... Yeah. Which I get, it's a fucking wild story, but like, if somebody says that they're hired for a hit or they knew about a hit, you should probably believe them. Or like, at least look into it. Right. Yeah. And I had actually read, I don't, I don't know if, I don't, it doesn't look like we included it in here, that Billy all along was like, I wasn't going to carry out this hit. I was just milking him for money until, like, he wouldn't give me any more. In reality, Billy's the smart one. (laughs) (laughs) So then we have another player in this whole thing. Literally insane. Stacey Serenko. As we mentioned, she was Billy Earl Johnson's girlfriend, and at one point, Stacy remembers someone asking John why he wanted his wife killed, and he was asked if it was something legal or something personal, and according to Stacy, he said, quote, a little of both. Mm. So, take that as you will. Ugh. Side note... Stacy, going back to that picture of John, yeah. Stacy took a picture of John in his Lexus because she mentioned that John was, quote, a very nice man, but she had told her mom if something ever happened to her that she wanted her mom to have this picture to show to everyone so they knew who this was man him. was. She's like, if something bad happens to me, it is 100% him. Yeah, so that's where this picture came from. It's like, he's nice, but he's shady and... And he has lots of money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So during one arrest involving her and Billy, Stacy also told an FBI agent about the hit on Nancy. But guess what? Again, nobody believed it. (sighs) Yep. An FBI agent, too. Yeah. That's, I I feel like there were so many opportunities for this not to happen to Nancy. You gotta look into them. Yeah. So now we're on to another person named Dustin. Hiram's, and he was the son of Stacy Serenko. So remember, Stacy was Billy's girlfriend. Yes. So Dustin is her son. Yes. He met John in May 2012 when Billy had a meeting with John. Stacy brought Dustin and their nephew Michael with them, and I had read that Billy was actually pretty pissed off about this because. Yeah. It's like, like a business meeting. Yeah, you're bringing him. yeah, and you're bringing more people in the picture that now are going to want a cut of this money. Mm-hmm. So at this meeting, John said he'd pay them the one hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy on Nancy. Insane. And five thousand dollars a week for the rest of their lives to kill Nancy on a trip in San Marcos. Ugh. Which how can you even? And how is he expecting to have that much money for the rest of their lives? That's what I mean. How can you promise them that? Yeah. I don't know. So after Stacy and Billy were arrested on one of the many times that they were arrested, mm-hmm. Dustin moved in with Billy's nephew, Michael Speck. And we're mentioning him because he's going to come up yes. as well. Yes. Dustin was 18 at that time, and he tried meth for the first time once he moved in with Michael Speck. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. He was a lanky kid with a southern drawl and a ninth grade education. And Billy said 
I think this is actually, like, really fucking awful. It is so fucked And up. shows the people that he was surrounded by. Mm-hmm. So, remember, Billy is his mom's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And Billy said about Dustin, quote, he's so stupid, he doesn't know how to put antifreeze in a pickup truck. Ugh, that's so, actually really fucked up. Yeah. So, with Dustin uh, having his mom and her boyfriend, who, again, remember, Stacy and Billy, in jail... Dustin began contacting John directly uh, about bail money initially, and then John began asking Dustin to kill Nancy himself. So he was like, "Now that Stacy and Billy are out of the picture, because they're they keep going, they keep going to jail. They and, can't stay out of jail. Fucking up yeah. what they were supposed to do." So he's like, "Maybe I'll just deal directly with you, mm-hmm. um, who is Dustin." Mm-hmm. So on the fourth of July, Dustin met John and was given twenty four thousand mm. dollars. He told Dustin uh, Nancy would be staying at the Gaylord Texan Hotel soon for a Mother's Day of, or I'm sorry, soon for a Mother's of Preschoolers convention. John told Dustin to use a baseball bat. That's disgusting. That's so blunt and, and gross. You're saying this to a teenager. She was going to be at a Mother of Preschoolers convention. And he said, just use a baseball bat basically and kill her while she's there. Ugh. God, that makes me sick. And Dustin was young. Ugh. Yeah. This, this that whole makes, thing is just makes, so fucked up. That makes me sick. So within two weeks, this money was gone. Basically, he spent it on meth like his um, mom and his mom's boyfriend did. Mm. Dustin asked John for more. So John was like, sure. <laughs> John was like, why not? I'll miss the money banks. <laughs> He's like, even though but, you keep spending it on meth. And it like wasn't even his money. Was he using Richard's yeah. money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Like, the money he was supposed to be moving? Yeah. He's like, here, you you just take it. Spend it on whatever you like. Did he realize he would soon have a hit out on him? Right, for that. Yeah. I don't think he thought about anything. <laughs> he just did. Right. So then John was like, sure, I'll give you more money. He said he would leave it behind a water meter behind a house that he had owned. Mm. So Dustin was like, I'm not doing this by myself. So he brought a friend with him named Jason Rendine. And they were both really high, and they got lost on the way to trying to find this money. And, like, let's just drag another person into this whole situation. Yeah, which, I don't know, maybe Dustin thought he was going to get killed, which that Mm, would be a good thought. Yeah. But, so they spent, Dustin and Jason spent hours driving through Nancy's neighborhood and stopped at several houses until they were eventually pulled over and asked to step out of their car. So, basically, when the cops pulled them over... Dustin was really nervous and mentioned that he was high at the time. So he said that he was looking for his uncle's house, and then he changed it to his stepdad's house, and then he said he was looking for a family friend named John. Mm. So his story literally changed like three times. He didn't know what he was doing. At some point, he then blurted out that he was a hitman who was hired to kill a man's wife. I'm a hitman. I'm a hitman. (laughs) I know, imagine. They're probably like, what What? the fuck? They're like, this kid is fucking ripped. Yeah. So, Dustin and Jason were taken to the Carlton police station where a report was filed, but officers thought the hitman stuff that he was talking about were just ramblings of somebody that was high and did meth. So, they released him a day later. Oh, God. They didn't do anything. They just released them. This is literally the third opportunity where someone straight up said, I am hired I'm to be hired, a hit person. And they did not take it seriously. On top of all the times that people just didn't carry out what they were going to do. Like, 
This should not yeah. have happened to Nancy. No. It shouldn't. No. So, that was a little bit about Dustin. So, I'm going to expand a little bit about Jason Rendine, who I talked about was with him. So, again, Jason is Dustin's friend. So, when he and Dustin got out of jail, he went home to his angry wife, Stephanie, and he told her about how Dustin is making his money. So, he's like, basically, this is what we've been doing. He's making a shit ton of money. And his wife was like, hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, her wheels are turning now. Mm -hmm. So, his wife, Stephanie, uh, her last name is Delacerda. Um, Again, she's Jason's wife. His wife, Stephanie, had a plan after Jason told her where Dustin was getting all this money from. So she's like, okay, well, if he's making the money, I want some of it, too. How are there so many fucked up people involved? I don't know. Like, let's just jump in on the action. Right. Like, I get how... I don't even get it. I was going to say I get how they wanted to, like, get make a cut and make money of it. But, yeah, like, but not, not for something like this. And not Yeah, not for a woman's life who yeah. you don't even know. Mm-mm. How are you that horrible, horrible of a person? Yeah. I don't know. So, Stephanie came up with aliases for her and Jason. And the names she came up with were Wes and Tiffany. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> I wonder where she came up with She's those. like, I've always wanted to be named Tiffany. Yeah. So, she's like, we're now Wes and Tiffany. <laughs> So, she thought of those aliases and then called John. She and her husband, Jason, told him that they knew of the scheme to kill his wife, and if he didn't pay them off, um, he they would go to the police. So, she was, like, blackmailing him at this point, saying, we know who you are and what you're doing. Blackmailing John. Yeah, blackmailing yeah. John, saying, we'll go to the police if you don't you know, give us money. And he's like, you didn't have to blackmail me. I would have just just given you the money. (laughs) You should have just asked. (laughs) Basically, they did. (laughs) Crazy. Ugh. So, John met them in Whataburger. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. He's like, I'm in the mood for some cheeseburgers. Right. He met them in Whataburger in Garland and gave Jason, a.k.a. Wes, (laughs) an envelope with... $30, $100 $30, bills, and within a day or two, they met again, and John gave them $12,000, and then a few days later, there was a wire transfer made for $20,000. Why does it keep ramping up? What are they telling this man? I don't know, and why do you just keep giving people money for Those are huge no apparent sums reason. of money, too. Like, those are, like, $20,000? Couldn't you given them, like, two and been, like, here? Or, like, here. 200 bucks and been, yeah. like... This is what... This will get you through whatever you yeah. need. Yeah. I mean, either way, no one should have been making money off of anything because no one should have been been saying they were going to kill Nancy. No, but I'm kind of glad they... They... Ripped him off. Ripped him off. <laughs> yeah, along the way. Yeah. <laughs> but spent that money way too frivolously. Yeah. So, as Kelsey put... Shit gets crazier! (laughs) I wrote in all caps. (laughs) John began calling Jason and Stephanie, a.k.a. Wes and Tiff, (laughs) and asked if they knew anyone that could get this hit done. So why... That's another thing. I was like, why is he asking, hey, do you know anyone who can get this done, but he's still paying them? Right. Paying them off. Yeah. I don't know. There was, like, no comments. Like, oh, yeah, I'll pay you off for, you know... Blackmailing. Blackmailing me. But by the way, do you know of anyone that could do this for me? Yeah. 
So Stephanie said John offered them $50,000 finder's fee and $100,000 to whoever killed his wife. The fact that he could put a price on that makes me want to fucking puke. I have never heard a story like this. Never. I mean, we've told cases that obviously include very disturbed and disgusting humans, but the whole thing, the whole sum of this story is, it's just unbelievable. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah, and this man was clearly, there was something very wrong with him. Yeah. So, Stephanie, who remember John knew as Tiffany, (laughs) dyed her hair black and told John that she was Tiffany's sister, Stephanie. So now she was using her real name. She's just like, I like role-playing. Oh my god. She was able to get $10,000 in cash from John as Stephanie. I just, I'm fucking mind blown. And an attorney later on asked Stephanie about this interaction, and he was kind of like skeptical about it. Yeah. Saying, quote, do you really think he's that stupid? And Stephanie replied, quote, he is. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, he did it, I swear. Which clearly he was. He is that stupid. Yeah. So another person we had kind of mentioned, like briefly, a mm-hmm. little higher up, was Michael Speck. And Michael Speck was Dustin's roommate and Billy's nephew. Mm-hmm. So... He was also, he had met uh, John the same time Dustin met John. Right. Remember, they went along with Dustin's mom. Right. And met him. Right. And they ended up living together after um, Dustin's mom, Stacy, and Billy went to jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he started doing meth when he was living with him. Yes. So, Michael Speck, remember that name? Because he is a player towards the end of this mm-hmm. as well. And then there's Michael Lawrence. And Michael Lawrence is was Michael Speck's cellmate in the past. Yeah. We're going to post a picture, too, of how all of these people are connected. Yeah. <laughs> because there was a very nice picture in the article. And it, if you look at it while we're, you're listening, it'll help a lot. It's literally set up like a family tree. Yeah. So, Michael Speck and Michael Lawrence, since there's two Michaels... So you don't get confused. Mm -hmm. Michael Speck will refer to as Michael because we saw this in another article and that kind of was an easier way of, like, saying it. And Michael Lawrence will refer to as Lawrence or Michael Lawrence. Mm -hmm. So there was also Misty Ford. And Misty Ford was Michael Lawrence's fiance in 2012 when all of this happened. Mm -hmm. She was 32 years old. And lives in Hemet, California. Her hair was dark red. She had piercings in her nose and lips. She met Michael a few years earlier and before he before he went to jail and when he got out, they moved in together. Mm-hmm. And he had told Misty about his cellmate named Michael Speck and that they were really close and very good friends even when he got out of jail. Yeah. So on August 14th, Michael Speck sent $1,000 to Michael Lawrence and told him and Misty to come to East Texas. And I had read that Misty thought they were going for Michael Lawrence, her mm-hmm. fiancé, to ask Michael Speck to be his best man in their wedding. So, she so that's like, why okay. she thought they were going there. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. So 
They rented a silver Nissan when they got there. Silver, silver Nissan! Nissan. <laughs> Remember, this is the one from the video. So this Maybe. is Michael Lawrence <laughs> and his fiance Misty. Misty. Yes. So August 18th, the two men, Michael and Michael, mm-hmm. Michael Speck and Michael Lawrence, left the house early and according to Misty, it was almost midnight when they got back. Damn. So they had been gone all day. Yeah. Misty said her fiancé, Lawrence, Michael Lawrence, was different when he returned. And later on, once they were, like, alone at, like, in their room, I guess, later on in the night, Mm -hmm. he actually told her that he murdered somebody by shooting them in the face. So you thought, Lawrence. So you thought. Yeah. And how do you just go about telling your fiancé that? I know, and how was she, like, I don't know, I don't know. I'd run out of the house screaming. Well, no. Then again, maybe I wouldn't because I would think, oh my God, he might kill me. Yeah. Yeah. So, two months later, Misty broke off their engagement. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yeah, Thank God. And in January 2013, remember this happened August 2012. Mm -hmm. January 2013, she finally talked to the Carrollton police after a friend she t- had told and confided this to had called in a tip about it. Which, Damn. Thank God. I know. And she said she had waited because, obviously, she was afraid she would also be murdered, which is a legit reason. Right. I don't blame her. Yeah. That's literally fucking terrifying. You can't do anything Yeah. in that moment but be scared. Yeah. I mean, I know we always say to come forward with information, as you should. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's involving... But it's easier said than done. Yeah, but if you're in the depth of it and involved in a way where literally you could be murdered, I could see why someone would hold off until they were safe enough to do so, you know? Yeah. So now you know all the players (laughs) in the game of Mm. craziness. Um. And actually, Hopefully you followed along. I know. If not, look at the family we, tree. We tried to break it down as best as possible. <laughs> Another connection that was found out during this investigation. Remember we talked about the flavor company Van Tone? Well, it actually turns out that Van Tone was a client of Frank's. Um, and he would actually do books every, every few weeks for them. And he worked with the woman that Billy had been scaring. Yeah, so remember the woman at Van Tone had told her empl- her employees or uh, co workers yeah. that Billy was harassing her and like wouldn't get over her and all that. So that's how Frank made the connection with Billy. Yeah. He basically told this woman that he would stop the harassment if she gave Frank Billy's phone number. So he's basically like this man's a fucked up man. He'll do the job. I need to get his number from this woman. Yeah. Which is crazy. That, that's Allegedly. That's that connection was made, right? Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. So now we are on to the trial. Ugh. So, Michael Speck and Michael Lawrence were originally charged with aggravated robbery and conspiracy to commit capital murder, but Michael Lawrence has since been reindicted for aggravated assault. Um... Like, how? He shot a woman in the head. How? With 
intent intent to kill. He went to his fiance and said, "I murdered a woman." He thought she was dead. How the fuck did that he get that changed? kind? Of, that kind of stuff pisses me off, and I don't understand when. I'm sorry. When you attempt, like even attempted murder, that you pisses sh- me off because. Right. Oh, wow, you're going to be charged less because the person miraculously, <laughs> bless you, because the person miraculously survived. Yeah. You're going to be charged less. You try to fucking kill someone, you should be charged with murder. Oh, a thousand percent. I don't know how and why this even was a thing that it got, he, he got <sighs> reindicted. God, that makes my blood boil. So the accusations towards Frank shocked people, and Nancy's aunt actually said, quote, we thought he was the epitome of a good Christian man. Mm. That's what you thought. <laughs> During his bond hearing, the courtroom was packed with his supporters. Mm. So everyone was on his side, like, thinking that... Well, because he was still saying he was innocent. Right. And from what everybody else had seen, he was a Christian man that went to church and sang in the choir with his wife and raised his children. What I would like to know is, is there some kind of proof... Of this money he was giving them, because for what other reason would he be giving these people hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yeah. And, I mean, they're I, proof in itself. People were buying cars, boats. Right, they had to have gotten know? those things from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. That money was coming from somewhere, and why would he just frivol- frivolously, out of the kindness of his heart, he's like, oh, I'm going to give you, like, $900,000. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. So, while Frank was out on bail, his daughter, Brianna, got married, which, remember, she was the, um, the firstborn, or, I'm sorry, she was the youngest of the three kids. That's really sad. Yeah. So, Nancy wrote to the court asking if they could relax the conditions of Frank's bail for one weekend so that he could attend his daughter's dream wedding. Which shows what a great human Nancy was, because after all of that, she still... And at this point... Wanting him to be there. Right. And at this point, she knew that he had an affair for three fucking years. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that she believed or even was aware of him putting a hit on her, Mm -hmm. he still cheated on her for three years. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a quote from Nancy about the wedding. Quote, it was hard, but it was a joyous time. Mm. I just feel horrible. So Frank's trial took place in August of 2014... Frank's family packed one side of the courtroom, and Nancy's family packed the other side. There were at least 10 attorneys involved, a ton of witnesses, investigators, phone experts, motel managers, and the 911 operator who took Nancy's call the night that she was shot. God, I can't even imagine being that 911 operator. No. 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 When Nancy took the stand, she talked about how their marriage had worsened as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of gave her account of the years that had led up to this. Suzanne Leontief uh, testified about their three-year affair with Frank, so she was, like, being honest about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time that she had been in the same room with Frank after she drove him to the airport two years earlier. Oh, my God. I know. So I wonder, like, what she was... I don't know, what she was thinking. Did she know any of this? Well, I read in one article that she was, like, all giggly and stuff. I know, like, nervously giggling up on the stand. Yeah. I don't know if it was, like, nervous laugh or what, but I wonder if she knew about... Or if she still had feelings for him. Because he technically, he was still maintaining his innocence, like... Mm -hmm. Saying that I didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. But I get the nervous laughter if that was the case, because I do that. Right. (laughs) 
Billy and Stacy were brought over from jail to the courtroom, and they had talked about uh, the first call and stringing Frank along for more than two <laughs> years and millions of dollars. I think that's so funny, just because he's a shitty person. <laughs> I think that it's so funny that they got so much money out of him. Charlie Louderman, who, remember, the guy Billy hired as a bodyguard, told the jury about the many times that he heard Frank talk about his wife's murder. So he got up in the stand and was like, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. Dustin, Jason, and Stephanie testified about their interactions before the shooting. The defense attorneys claimed that Frank had been blackmailed and that the credibility of the witnesses were poor. That is a hefty claim from mm-hmm. that defense attorney. Mm-hmm. Ashley, Jay, and Brianna, who were, remember, Frank and Nancy's kids, testified for their father, telling the jury what a compassionate man he was known to be. I feel sorry for them because that was their... That is their dad, you know? I know, and to find out that this came out... But at the same time, that is their mom... Right. ...who got shot. Yeah. They weren't in the courtroom for most of the time, but when they were, they sat behind Frank. So... I, I read somewhere that for the majority of the details about everything, they weren't in the courtroom for some reason, which... They probably just didn't want to know it, but that's kind of making yourself ignorant to the situation. Right. Wouldn't you want to know the details about how fucked up the situation yeah. was? And I mean, I don't want to question how someone was coping, but at the same time, too, if I were in that courtroom, yeah, I'd want to be sitting by my dad, like, supporting my dad, I should say, if he was maintaining his innocence to me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'd also want to comfort my mom, who was the one who went through this horrible situation, the one that was shot in the head and, like, recovering from all of this. Yeah. How could you not How be could by you your mom? be by her? Yeah. So the trial lasted three weeks, and the jury only needed two hours to convict. During Frank's conviction, Richard Raleigh, remember, he was the man that offered Frank the job, the private jet. He was the one who Frank was supposed to be... <laughs> Sending out whatever that $30 million for. Yeah, doing whatever for Yeah. He took the stand and he said over three years, Frank embezzled more than the, more than $30 million from him. Absolutely. Insanity. Insanity. Where did he think this money was going? I don't know. Was he just like, it's being held in an account. It's being held in an account. (laughs) And was Richard like blind to this until. How do you not know that $30 million is missing? I don't know. I, I don't know. Doesn't really make sense. There was also a representative from Van Tone in the court telling everyone how Frank stole money from them as well, which (laughs) I'd like to hear that story. Me too. Prosecutors came to the conclusion that even though he clearly was not happy in his marriage, a divorce from his wife would have exposed all of his financial issues. So that's why he waited. But why does he have financial issues if he stole $30 million from someone? Well, I think that would have came to light. With the the investigation of the divorce. And, like, his assets versus her assets and... Yeah, but he would have had that money because he wouldn't have been giving it out to people to kill her if they got a divorce. Right, but then they would have questioned, like, where did he get... Oh, like, where's all this money coming from? It would have exposed, like, everything that he was doing on the side. Well, either way, he was going to be fucked because he stole $30 million from someone. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. What was he thinking? Yeah. So the jury sentenced Frank to life in prison... He was found guilty of attempted capital murder, and he will be 85 years old when parole will be even, like, considered. Why is it even considered, though? I know. (laughs) 
So all three kids were angry leaving the courtroom that he was convicted, and they didn't even say bye to their mom. I feel fucking horrible for her. I... I don't understand, even if you think your dad is innocent in all this, how you don't talk to your mom when she went through this whole fucking situation, and either way, your dad fucking cheated on her. Right. Even if he he wasn't responsible for the hit. Yeah, he was living this other life, lying to you guys, to your mom. For three years. Yeah. I mean, that, if my dad did that to my mom... That right there would make me not talk to him for a while. <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. A long and, time. And even if I did decide to talk to him, I would still be supporting my mom. Like, right. She, that she should make, be above everything. Yeah, that doesn't... That, that whole thing does just doesn't make sense to me. Like, me there's different ways of coping, but there's no reason that they shouldn't be talking to Nancy. She didn't deserve that. Yeah. And after everything she's been through, I just feel so sorry for her. Me too. So a little bit of life after... Nancy now has a prosthetic eye painted to match her other eye. Remember, her eyes were, like, a beautiful shade of violet. Yeah. Every morning, she has to get up and wash her eye. It's... She kind of has to do this to ease the pain from it getting dry and sticking to her. I cannot even believe she has to fucking deal with that. I know. I know. Um, she used to be very, like, touchy and... I guess, like, lovey. Yeah, tactile with people. But nerve damage makes like, even hugging painful for her, which is just... I want to cry. I know. She lost most of her sense of smell and taste because of the bullet going through her sinuses, and she was in the hospital initially for two weeks with multiple reconstructive surgeries. She had a collapsed lung and was coughing up tissue when the police arrived, but... This, thank God, at least she has this because it made her so happy. Mm-hmm. She still has her singing voice. It so didn't affect that at all. Remember, she sang in, in the, the choir. choir. And Nancy is now 53. She lives alone and does part-time work. And she chooses to live without bitterness and separates Frank, like the person she loved many years, and John, the alter ego who did all this horrendous stuff she kind of keeps them separate and thank god that she's able to cope and keep things separate in her brain Mm because i don't think i could be that strong to be honest i think too for her i feel like especially as a religious person just forgiveness in general is her coping mechanism you know like right she needs to be able even if she doesn't want anything to do with him the rest of her life. She needs to be able to just, like, forgive to move past it. And that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Her faith was so strong that it helped her to forgive mm-hmm. and move on from the situation. Mm-hmm. This is a quote from Nancy. Quote, I'm trying to find my way. I was a homemaker for 20 years. That's what I did. That's who I am. Now my kids are all over the country. It's a struggle. Oh. I feel so bad for her. I know. This whole situation just breaks my heart. I mean, I think that, like we said, it could have been avoided. And that's what's the most frustrating part. There were so many chances for this not to have, like, not to have happened to this wonderful woman. Right, but if you think about it, like, would it have happened in a different way? Or would things have still gone south for her some way? I don't know. I'm just happy that she came out of it alive, Mm -hmm. but her relationship with her kids is strained 
Meanwhile, the entire time, they have close contact with their father. That just doesn't make sense to me. No. Like, I, I would like to hear their explanation for it. Not that they need to give one, but just to understand where they're coming from. I know. You know, because... I would like to hear that, too, because it, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. No. Nancy hoped that her... This was from the article that was just after all this had happened. She said that she hoped her kids would come home for Christmas, and she said, quote, It's very complicated. I raised them to love, honor, and respect their dad, and they do. Okay, but why can't they love, honor, and respect her as well? I know. Like, they, if they want to be that way with their father, that's completely fine. Even though <laughs> we think he's probably really a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Especially with the affair thing. Yeah. And if he did hire a hit on her, yeah, he's a really fucking shitty person. But they can still love their dad. We're not saying that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But why can't, why aren't they giving their mother the same love when she's literally done nothing wrong? Nothing at all. Nancy did end up divorcing her husband just before the trial began, but says that if he had been acquitted, she would have been willing to stay with him and rebuild their marriage. <sighs> I just, I feel so uh, bad. Yeah. So there's a book actually out um, called The Shooting of Nancy Howard, A Journey Back to Shore by Alice Matthews, and that kind of goes over her entire story mm. and most of what we had just talked about, if not more. Um, My heart just breaks for Nancy. I know. This was... I haven't felt so fucked up about a case in a while mm. until we did this one. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing cases to another, but some just hit you harder than others, and mm-hmm. this one really hit me hard, and I feel horrible. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad she survived, though. Me yeah. too. It could have been worse. Yeah. But... Yeah. And that's the end of today's case. <sighs> Crazy. Yeah. Like we said... We hope your seatbelts are buckled tightly, because that was a intense wild. one. Yeah. Absolutely wild. Yeah. And very, very, very detailed. I didn't expect it to be that detailed. I remember, actually, since we we, we said we both had never heard of this case, mm-hmm. I remember saying, I think, think last week, enough? do you think there'll be enough information for us to do a whole episode, or maybe we'll have to do a double case. Double it up, yeah. Because yeah. we were like, I don't know, we'll have to check. Yeah, well... There's enough. <laughs> it's probably our longest one yet, I think. Probably, yeah. yeah. It's It was horrible. There was a ton of detail. You could probably find a ton more out there. Mm-hmm. We're going to um, obviously link all the resources that we used for this episode, but we will also link the NBC News episode that we had talked about. Um, it's like four parts, and there's interviews with Nancy, with her kids, and um, with... John Frank Mm -hmm. Howard. Um, So you can take a look at that if you want. Totally up to you. We're not forcing you. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we don't make this shit up on our own as we've we've mentioned. So it is important to give credit where credit is due to the people who actually did the research. Yes. Yes. And... Do you have anything else? I don't think so. I know. I'm trying to think. We just had a couple more people. Actually, one of my coworkers yeah. just bought two shirts for me, which I'm so happy. Shout out, Megan. You're the best. Thanks, Megan. Um, so we do, a reminder, we do have shirts still available if you'd like to buy a shirt. Um, We're going to do a poll soon to see yeah. what you guys would be interested in for summer attire kind of thing. Warm weather. Yeah, even like 
I really want a sweatshirt. I know. Personally, because I, like I wear sweatshirts year-round. Yeah. Or, like, even a crew. Yeah. I know. Let us know, um, or if you have any other merch ideas, because the mug idea was from Johnny, one of our listeners mm-hmm. and supporters, so let us know, and we will look into it as always. We're also going to do a poll on that again as well to see if we should order more mugs. Because they sold out in, like, a week. Yeah. Mm, two weeks. So, we don't know if everyone that wanted one got one, or yeah. if it'd be worth it for us to order more. Let us know. And like we said, give us suggestions of what to put on shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I kind of want to do that. Because we want stuff on our merch besides just our logo, our logo mm-hmm. but we don't know what to put on it. Yeah. If you have any suggestions, maybe we'll make an Instagram post and we can put it, ask for suggestions in the comments. Yeah. Yeah. All and right. thank you to, um, as well, the people who have been interacting with us on Twitter. I love it. I try my best to be on there more often. I'm trying. I'm, I'm just not... I'm not used to being on Twitter. I'm not a social media person at all. And Bryn, that is Bryn's forte. <laughs> no, just... Well, just Instagram. Just Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I love Instagram. Yeah. But, yeah, I've been trying to be better with Twitter, but uh, one listener in particular, Danny... Mm-hmm. He interacts and, like, posts, Aww. like, po- makes posts on his page and mentions us in them. So then I see it on our page and I retweet it. Oh, my God. It's Thank so you, sweet. Danny. Yeah. How cute. Yeah. I love that. So I think that's about it. Yes. Until next week. Bye. We always, know, we always don't know how to end it either. It's hard to start <laughs> and hard to end. So, uh, <laughs> okay, so see you later. <laughs> Regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.